Matthew 4, chapter 4. All right. Uh, just standing there singing with you guys and thinking, how blessed are we? Um, I'll tell you a blessing. Uh, we like to reminisce. I know a lot of us do that, especially the older we get. I'll tell you a blessing is when you can, in the moment, realize that you're going to look back later at that moment as the good old days. That's a blessing. I mean, I realize there's going to be a day. I'm, I might remember this day and just like, no, that was a blessing. That was the good old days. And so it's good to know that when you're in it. Matthew chapter 4, as you see by your title, this is week 2 in verses 1 through 11. Uh, go ahead and tell you this is part 2 of 3. Uh, so next week we'll be back there. I hope that doesn't bore you. Um, but there's just so much in this. And if you were here last week when we talked about this for over an hour, you're probably thinking, surely there can't be more in this text. Uh, well, there is. So I want to jump right into it, all right? Matthew chapter 11. The scene is that Jesus has, back at the end of chapter 3, just traveled 70 miles to be baptized by John the Baptist. John refused. He resisted, but Jesus kept insisting on it. Eventually, John gave in, and it's a good thing. Because when he did, the Holy Spirit uh, descended and remained on Jesus in a unique way. And God the Father spoke out of heaven, the last verse of chapter 3, and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so John knows, sure enough, Jesus is the Christ and announces him as such. But chapter 4, verse 1, is quite an unusual twist. If you'll read with me, verses 1 through 11, Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led up. So notice... Then, it's right after this, high moment, Jesus was led. He's in God's will. Special anointing of the Holy Spirit upon the Son of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's a strange thing. Why are we going out in the wilderness? He's lived in obscurity for 30 years. Let's get this show on the road, but God has another plan. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness strangely even more strange now to be tempted and then not just any temptation by the devil not devils by the devil himself verse 2 and after fasting 40 days oh that's a figurative number no 40 days and 40 nights this is very literal like literal and Jesus is not just drawing on some God power to be impervious to hunger because the Bible very clearly says he was hungry. Let that sink in. After 40 days and 40 nights of not eating, Jesus was hungry. Sure enough, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you're the Son of God, if you're who we think you are, if you are the Son of God, just command that you have the power, command these stones to become loaves of bread in the moment. Eat. But he, Jesus, answered, it is written. Now he's quoting the Bible out of the book of Deuteronomy. It is written. Man, note that word. Jesus is saying, I'm linking myself with mankind. I am a man. Man shall not live by bread alone. I'm not going to do your request. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Just turn these stones into bread. You have the ability. No, man shall not live by bread alone. There's something higher than this, something bigger going on. That is not what I'm supposed to do. I will live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, that means Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. As I said last week, two potential things here. One is maybe 100, 125, 150 feet in the air of the temple structure proper, like the literal temple, a reconstruction of Solomon's temple that Herod had put many, many years into, even decades. And Satan carries Jesus to be tempted to the top of this. Maybe more likely is the temple courtyard at a point that overlooks the Kidron Valley, 450 feet below. And as verse number 5, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, hey, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. In fact, I noticed you like to quote Bible Jesus, so again, I have a verse for you. Here's why it's fine. Throw yourself off of this pinnacle. Here's why. It is written. I have Bible too. Here comes Satan. Here's what this Bible verse says. He quotes Psalm 91. Quote, he, talking about God, he will command his angels concerning you. And, quote, on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Go ahead, jump. Psalm 91, you know about Psalm 91, nothing will happen to you. Jesus said to him, I, last week I, I tried to key this, a major word in these 11 verses is the word again. Jesus is not saying that Psalm 91 does not apply to him. What he's saying is that's not the whole story. There's more scripture has to be brought in. We interpret scripture with scripture. We need the whole counsel of God. Yes, Psalm 91 is true, but Jesus says again it is written. In addition to that, this factors in another verse out of Deuteronomy. Quote, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I know what Psalm 91 says, but this also balances that. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, here comes round 3. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him, so very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So if the first temptation was the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, you're really hungry. And the second is the pride of life. Just leap off of here. Nothing will happen to you. Imagine what, what that would look like to people who, who see you, how famous you will be. You just say what you want to say and they'll fall at your feet. Pride of life is being appealed to. But now here we see the lust of the eyes. Verse 8. He took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, here's Satan, all these... I will give you. Last week I read between the lines. I offered again. It's as though Satan could say, I know I'm a liar. I know I lie all the time, but I'm not lying this time. I promise I'll give you this. All these I will give you if you do one thing. Fall down and worship me. Oh, how Satan wants to be worshipped. He's begging and pleading on my, If you'll do this, I promise I'll give all of those. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written. So again, he comes back and quotes Deuteronomy again, a different passage. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So last week I said to me, as I thought about this passage a few months ago, there were three portions to these 11 verses and the outline, in essence, goes like this. 
Sin is tempting. We saw that last week. Sin, guys, you know this. Sin is tempting. Jesus was tempted to sin. sin if he was tempted, you know it's tempting. Sin is tempting. Second thing we noted is Satan is real. Satan is real. Last week we talked about how sin is tempting. This week we're going to talk about how Satan is real. Next week we're going to see how Jesus is stronger than sin and stronger than Satan. This week we need to look at point number two. And so I want to jump right into that. Two points this week along that line. And the first one is what I just said. If you want to write it down. The reality of Satan is in this passage. It's very, very clear. The reality of Satan. Now, here's what needs stated. You probably know somebody like this. There are many people who think that this whole Christian idea of God having an enemy is just the silliest thing. They think that is ridiculous. You guys literally believe, by the way, some of them really struggle believing even that there's a God. But if they can cause themselves, okay, if I give you the idea that there is a God, you guys seriously think there's this being out there that's the arch enemy rival. No, we're not saying he's the rival of God. God has no rivals. But he is the enemy and he opposes God. Yes, they hear that, guys, and they think that's, that's the stupidest thing ever. But if you want to write this down, if you deny the existence of Satan, then you are denying a prominent portion of Scripture. You're denying a prominent reality of the Bible. Guys, this is not one book. Of, oh, yeah, Genesis says that Satan came. It's not like just there. It's not just in the book of Psalms. It's not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is in several, I'm not going to say it's in every book, but if you say there is no real Satan, just deny the reality of Satan, you are denying a prominent, not just 5 or 10 or 15 times in the Scripture, a prominent truth, a prominent reality of the Bible. In fact, I'm going to propose this to you guys. I believe this, I know this to be so true, that the devil and devils are so real, there are literally times in my prayer life when I will pray to God, claiming the name and the power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I will ask God to remove all demonic forces from the room I'm in, the house I'm in. You say, you're kidding me. I did it this morning. I'll just go ahead and tell you. I was planning on saying this. I usually, when I do this on Sunday morning, my whole purpose, God, would you remove them, make them get out of this little office area I'm in, near this little swivel rocker here? Would you remove them out of my house, out of Miss Stamey's, out of Miss Melody's house, out of the Mitchell's house, out of the neighbor over here, and out of the neighbor over there that has the mean dog? Uh, would you remove them off of the, the toy's house, over here the man that's in the police force, and over here at Alicia's house? Lord, just like nine square pieces of property here. Would you just get them off of that? Because I want to pray out loud, God, and I don't want them to hear what we're going to talk about. I usually pray that God would do the same here at our church property and the student center. I didn't do that this morning. I forgot to do that this morning. At 940, we had no sound. We have a new soundboard. At 940, from 9, 9 o'clock all the way to 940, we have no sound. I went back in there, and I'm, Lord, I think I forgot something. I'm not saying, well, you have a new soundboard, you're going to have issues. We've had humming and ringing. You know, that these, bless their hearts, they're working back now. <laughs> it's new. It's new. You've got stuff to learn. It's not going to go perfect. And I was like, Lord, they don't want this being heard. They, don't like, they know. What, God, would you just, if it's possible, and we'll, we'll be fine. If there's no sound, then I'll just have to talk louder. And I'll preach shorter because my voice will wear out. But uh, you may be praying to that end. So please don't. You start, Lord, let the sound system go out. I'm hungry. 
Now, here's the thing. There's some people going to hear what I've just said, and they're going to think, this guy's not so. He talks to someone he's never seen about beings he's never seen. And bless your heart, you could have slept in today, but you go and listen to him for an hour. You guys are wacko. No, you're denying a reality of the Bible if you don't believe what the Bible says about the reality of Satan. Follow me if you would, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, just again, we could go many, many places, and there's a lot in this text, we can't say it all. 1 John chapter 5, I want to read verses 18 to 20. I'm going to go ahead and jump in, and you'll catch up as we get there. It'll be on the screen as well. 1 John chapter 5, so much in this text. John, as he's closing down his book, says, We know that everyone who has been born of God, that's Christians, does not keep on sinning. This is not saying they will not commit acts of sin. It means they do not keep on sinning. They will not have sin as a habitual lifestyle. If anyone in here, you raise your hand, say, I'm a Christian, but your lifestyle is identified by sin and is not identified in the whole, in the main, in obedience to God, you're not a Christian. Verse 10 again. We know, this is the Bible, the Holy Spirit wrote this, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. How is that possible? He was talked about it back in chapter 3, picks it up again here as he closes chapter 5. How is that possible? But he who was born of God protects him. Wait. Start of the verse says, everyone who's been born of God, that's all of us Christians. Who's this he who was born of God? He who was born of God is Jesus Christ. All of us are the adopted children of God. Notice what the text says, but he who's born of God protects him. Those of us. Keeps us from sinning. We can't keep on sinning. And the evil one does not touch him. That text does not mean that the evil one cannot harass us try to afflict us, cannot attack us. Ultimately, what what John is saying here, he can do no permanent damage to Jeff Bartlett. The enemy can do no, he cannot touch me permanently. Verse 19, John continues, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 18 finishes with the evil one, 19 finishes with the evil one, and then verse 20, and we know that the Son of God, the Son of God, has come and has given us understanding. He's given us understanding. The world doesn't have this understanding. Christians have this What is it? Understanding. So that we may know him who is true. And know that we are in him who is true. In his son Jesus Christ. Notice his son Jesus Christ. Next sentence. He is the true God and eternal life. Who's the true God and eternal life? The son I don't think the Bible says that Jesus is God. Verse number 20, very clear. God's Son, Jesus Christ. And then it says, He is the true God. He is eternal life. He has come so that we may know the true God. We are in the true God. In Him, He is the true God. He's the one who protects us. The main thing I want you to see here. I'm not going to dig in. I just want to see, do you see the reality? The world... The people of the world and the world system that is against God is under the control of the evil one. This is a legitimate, real person, speaks of the reality of Satan. Now, I'm going to throw some things out. Before we get to our second point, because our second point today has four sub-points, and we'll spend the majority of our time there, but I want to throw some things out. I want you to hang with me. Ready? I want you to picture a demonic force, not talking about the devil, but we're talking about devils all right 
inside a person, you're like, oh, there they go. You seriously believe that? Oh, I know that can happen. If you have a human host to a demonic force and that human encounters you or I, let's say you're a Christian. I don't know if you are or not. I know that I am. I don't know if the human host will know that I'm a Christian, but I'll guarantee you the demonic force inside of them will know that I'm a Christian and that you're a Christian. They will know that. You're like, how is that possible? The demonic force in them is a real spirit being, and the Holy Spirit of God is a real person inside of me, and if you're a Christian, he's inside of you. The human host may have no clue who you are, but mark it down, that, de that demonic force recognizes the Holy Spirit of God in you, and vice versa, the Holy Spirit of God recognizes the demonic force in that person. What I want to throw out to your mind today is we're actually in that realm way more than you think we are. We just spend most of our time going around being dictated to by our eyes and our stomach and our ears and how cold or hot it is and how tired we are. You are a spirit, soul, and body. And if you're a Christian, your spirit is alive. I'm not telling you have the right to go around and say who is or isn't a Christian. But I'm saying if you will walk more in tune with the Holy Spirit, you probably will find yourself, talk, talk, catch yourself talking to someone saying, you're not a Christian, are you? Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, actually I am. I knew it. I could just sense it. There was something. Or you may find this. Talking to someone. Boy, I know that they say they're a Christian. They say they're a Christian. I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not sensing it. Something is wrong there. Again, this does not give us a license to be judgmental. This is real stuff. I have a very good friend who years ago, and again, not to spook you. I don't want to go into it. He never really wanted to. But he told me, and some others, that before he was a Christian, he was possessed by a demonic force. He had a relationship with that demonic force. He talked about going to places where there were other people filled with devils. And he said straight up, he said the one that was in him was recognized among all the others as usually the strongest one in the group. This is real stuff. They recognize the Holy Spirit in you. Holy Spirit in you knows them. There's a whole thing going on. Here's my point. This is key. If you dare to be used by God, these demonic forces, these devils will attack you. The key, if you dare to be used by God. Now I want to make some things clear. I am not talking about your old flesh nature, your old sin nature. Everybody needs to understand. There's a difference between the devils attacking you and your flesh dragging you down and tempting you to sin. What I'm describing over here is a unique thing that will happen. If you dare to be used by God, they're going to attack you. You always have the constant pull of the flesh trying to get you to sin. But I'm saying some unique things will happen if you, if you try to serve God. In our, in our building right here this morning, there's some misunderstandings, misconceptions. I don't have time to teach on uh, the doctrine of Satan, but I'll throw out a few things. Some common misconceptions are the following. They're in the room right now, and I invite you, study your Bible. Don't take my word for it. Study your Bible. Here's one. A lot of Christians act like Satan is omnipresent and all-powerful. He is neither. I'll throw out to you that you have probably never encountered Lucifer, Satan, the devil. I highly doubt that I have. There's seven and a half billion people in this world. I'm sure he has bigger fish to fry than Jeff Bartlett down in Anderson, South Carolina. But I'm quite certain that I have encountered devils. I'm talking about the reality of Satan. Also, I want to clear up something. There's often some confusion. I want to throw this out to you. A lot of folks equate 
demonic oppression to be nothing more than what I would call the normal effects of living life in physical bodies that are under the curse. Hang with me. You're like, Jeff, what, what, what are you saying? Some people think they're being oppressed and attacked by demonic forces, and it's nothing more than living in physical bodies that are under a curse of sin. Say, so Jeff, what does that mean? To put it plainly, hear me. You and your loved ones are going to get sick and die. You're going to get sick and die. What I'm describing is if Satan and every demon on the planet left the planet, you're still going to get sick and die. So you say, Jeff, that's not the attack of Satan. No, that's a curse that's been put on us because we live in sinful bodies. The curse of Adam has been passed down. That's sin taking its effect. So you say, Jeff, what is demonic oppression then? What is these attacks, these attacks of the devil? Demonic oppression is the unusual, not normal pull towards sin. It is stronger. It's, I'm going to keep using this word. It's the unusual, higher, different levels. Y'all remember Job? Job was attacked. You say, Jeff, can it not be sickness? Oh, it absolutely can be sickness. Can it not be death? It can be death. But don't chalk up every sickness and death to be, the devil's fighting me. I'm really in the battle. No, you live in a sin-cursed world. That's why you don't know anybody 115 years old, personally. You don't know them personally. Job, in one day, has some people come and rob a huge portion of his possessions, his flocks. Somebody else comes and they rob and steal and kill his servants and they, kill some, they, they steal some herds over here. Same day, a tornado hits where his kids, all ten kids, happen to be having a birthday party in one house and they all die at one time. Why is all this happening? Because Satan and God had a conversation and Satan said the only reason Job serves God is because God's so good to him and has made him wealthy and healthy and all his kids, it's happy go lucky. If, if you let me have at him and attack him, he'll stop serving you. And so Satan attacked. You see, it's unusual unusual levels and eventually Satan asked permission he got permission to attack Job's body I mean sores painful sores the kind of sores that eventually Job can't sleep he literally just wants to die he is being attacked by Satan so if I could propose to you the attacks of Satan are not the normal it's the strong temptation what you see in Matthew 4 is this indulge yourself watch harm yourself watch worship Satan how he comes that's how he comes in Matthew 4 harm yourself indulge yourself go ahead give in worship me by the way if Satan can get people to worship him in pure form he loves that the most don't worship God worship me and know that you're worshiping Satan he loves that if he can't get you to do that he'll try to get you to worship other things just don't worship God worship him in other ways you know like sports and your job and your kids and your hobbies the ones that you love Worship me. Don't worship him. So what I'm describing are the out of the ordinary types of attack. It may be this. You're trying to serve God, trying to do more for the Lord than you've ever done in your life, and all of a sudden, fatigue, just tired. I mean, can't, can't hardly stay awake. What is going on? Sickness, unusual. I don't know what's going on. Impressions that come upon your mind. I don't mean your normal weird thoughts. I mean like, where did that come from? 
that is not me. We have our own problems, but every now and then, that is not you. They are forcing something into your mind. Now, here's what you need to remember. You, if you're a Christian, you can never be possessed. You can never be indwelled, but you can sure be harassed. Strange thoughts. Here's one. Stirring up people against you. Trying to get sound systems to go out of whack on a specific day of all days. Unusual discouragement. Guys, I'm not talking about, listen to me, listen to me. I'm not talking about Christians who don't spend time in the Bible. Christians who don't pray. And then wonder why they get discouraged and beat down by just life. That's going to happen. What I'm talking about is the person who's spending time in the Word of God. The person who regularly prays to the Lord. They have a relationship, not just for a few minutes and a quiet time. They're going through the day with the Lord, but all of a sudden, it's just like they're fighting discouragement, almost like depression. Bless his heart, Charles Spurgeon called them fainting fits. He was known to have, he did great things for God. The devil hated it and came against him all the time. Very unusual levels. Strange anxiety attacks, trying to do something for God, and all of a sudden, what am I doing? I can't do this. This is foolish. I'm going to look like an idiot. I can't do this. And you're just overwhelmed. Yeah, that might be them. But let me encourage you. This is the last note. We'll move on to point two. If you'll remember and take comfort that though they're real, listen, the great, the great power in any room at any time is the Holy Spirit of God in you. He rules. They're strong. They're stronger than you. He's got the power, and he's in you. Secondly, this morning, would you not only notice the reality of Satan, but as we're looking back at Matthew 4, the tactics of Satan. Would you look at Matthew 4 with me again, the tactics of Satan? I read this last week. It's about a week and a half ago on a Tuesday. I'm reading this multiple times, and I just start writing some things down. And it's like, man, look what, how he does what he does. And there's more than four, so what I did is I combined several of them in the first one, all right? If you want to write this down. Notice his patterns. They're consistent and they're very clear. By the way, he still does these things today. I want to talk briefly about each one. Number one, here's what we find in Matthew 4. Satan attacks after a great victory. Satan attacks after a great victory. I'll tell you another time. This first point is more about the when he attacks. After a great victory, or when you're weak, or when you are alone. If you don't hear my support comments on that, you at least need to get this. I, I thought this week, Jeff, what's the point of you talking about these? My hope is that God's people will hear Satan's techniques and be able, I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of weeks talking about Satan, but this is one that we need to. It's very clear in the text. Did you, if you read this five times, you say, that's exactly what is happening. And challenge that beside your life. And here's what you'll see. That's exactly what he does in my life. The first one, notice what he does. After a great victory. These are times when you are extremely vulnerable, people. I want you to understand. When you're weak, could be weak physically. Could be a weak time spiritually, weak emotional time. When you're weak, when you're alone, and after you've had a great spiritual victory, look out, you're vulnerable, they're going to come. It may be a couple hours later, it may be eight hours later. I have found it'll be within 24 hours they're going to come. And so what I've learned, thankfully, most of the time, is I've learned to expect it. And recognize that, uh, that, that that's what you're doing. And so I try not to make any huge big decisions of life when they're doing what they do. They're going to do it soon to me. They're going to do it as a result of this message today. I have no doubt they'll do this. 
That's fine. I am not going to say bring it on. I hope God will say bring it on. I'm not picking a fight. I'm not stupid. But watch this. After a great victory, Jesus has just been baptized. He's just been declared to be the Son of God, not just by John the Baptist, but God the Father himself said, this is my beloved Son whom I'm well pleased. This is a high point. And then he goes out, and then he's weak after 40 days and 40 nights of not eating. And then here comes the tempter, and when he's alone. But notice, it's after a great victory. Y'all remember Elijah? I'm sorry if you're not familiar with this story. I can't develop it. But Elijah, has the, he's the prophet of God, and he has this big contest against 450 prophets of Baal. And they have their sacrifice set up, and Elijah has the sacrifice set up, and there's going to be a contest. Baal's supposed to be the God who can rain down fire, and if he can, all his 450 prophets are going to pray for Baal to rain down fire and, and, and consume that offering. And then Elijah's going to call down just one of him. He's going to call down the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah God, Yahweh God, to rain down fire and consume this offering. They, they try and try and they dance around and they pray and they cut themselves and they do all kind of crazy things. For hours, nothing happens before Elijah says, you've always done, right? You've got a fake God you're praying to. Now that you're, you're done, here's how it's done. By the way, before I pray down fire on this offering, go get, I know water's scarce because it hasn't rained three and a half years. Get some barrels. I want you to soak down this offering. Let's build a trench and just let the water run. I want this mud all around here. And once they've poured water and water and water, then Elijah prays 63 words in the King James Bible, and the fire of God comes down, licks up all the water, consumes. Huge victory. Very clear. Ahab and Jezebel have been leading the nation toward Baal worship. He's a phony, he's a fake. The man of God, Elijah, just won a great victory. Here's the crazy part. Like within a day, this man wants to die. He's running for his life. He's just defeated 450 prophets of Baal, but he's scared of Queen Jezebel who says she's going to kill him. And he runs and he runs and he runs, and he gets physically tired, and he's all alone, he thinks. And he says, I'm the last one, I'm all alone. God, why don't you just kill me? This is typical Satan. I remember when I was in Bible college and in my 20s, and every now and then I would go up, usually about three times a year, and I would get to preach at my home church in North Carolina, and I would, you know, I'm just being real with you. I might not always be spirit-filled, but boy, I'd try to be spirit-filled when I go up there, and boy, I'd be doing my message and just go up there and try to, and I'd preach a long time, like 45 minutes up there. And a uh, long time, long minutes, sometimes 50, 52 minutes. But guys, it was, it was the strangest thing. I mean, God would make up for all my lack and stupidity and knuckleheadedness, and I could sense God was meeting with us. You know what I learned? Monday, he's coming. And I finally learned, I figured out the pattern. Oh, high day, high moments, there he comes. Monday is a work day for me. I'll go ahead and tell you, it's not my most productive day. Typically, it's not my most productive day. Friday, I try to have as an off day. Monday, need to get some things done, just usually not the most productive. When we're weak, I can't give the background. I think it was the fall semester of 1990. Deanna and I had been engaged for about a year. We were going to get married the next June of 91. And... I just remember she and I having a big spat there in the parking lot uh, out in front of the Founders Building on the other side of Old Easley Bridge Road. And we had a spat and call it off. Engagement's off. And by the time I'd walked about 150 feet, she said, my daddy wants to talk to you. <laughs> Somehow, I don't know how she did it, she had been on that payphone and called Pastor Hickernell up in Philadelphia and I thought, oh, my word, calling her daddy on me. Really, that's kind of, that's pretty cheap. 
And I remember I went over there, and and all he said was, he said, Jeff, yes, sir. Are you tired? Yes, sir. Anything unusual going on at school? Well, we got exams. And we were in night school. So I worked construction today, and she worked at the school there during the day, and we went to school at night, and it was exams. And he just very simple said, don't make big decisions when you're tired. Hang up the phone, tell her you'll see her tomorrow. And if you're supposed to break it off, then y'all break it off. But if not, don't make big decisions when you're tired. And I know I married the right person. Write this down. Satan is going to tempt you when he knows you're alone. Now, sometimes being alone is totally unavoidable. I'm thinking of a friend of mine. He regularly, now listen to me, Satan is going to tempt you even more when he knows you're alone. So I'm going to encourage you, those of you who have to be alone, you say, I live alone. Or you say, business takes me, and I'm, a, I'm away, I'm alone. If that's the case, you know what I'm talking about. You can be on a spiritual high, and, and those, those, those things will come, they recognize you're alone, and they're going to attack you. So I want to encourage you, know their tactics, get some folks praying for you when you know that you're going to be alone, be faithful to the house of God, but I'm going to invite you to take some proactive steps. I have a friend who regularly has to travel out of the state, one state north of us and one state west of us on business. This guy reads, he, he, he doesn't have time to read books, but he, he listens to books on, on the radio. He has a car thing, and he goes, and he's writing for hours and hours, and he's just devouring books, and you can't get him to shut up about the Lord. Jeff Gilry. So you say, I just have to be alone. Then take steps to go extra over and above and refortify your life. Boy, I've got to keep moving. Number two, Satan attacks. After a big victory, look out when you're weak, when you're alone. Number two, this is so in the text. Satan tries to pervert, pervert God's truths. This is a given. Do we realize that? Satan's tactic is to take truths of God, twist them, and pervert them. Satan loves to question God's word. Matthew 3, 17, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Forty days later, here comes Satan. If you are the son of God. Say, what? I'm reading this. This makes me angry. God has said, that settled it. This is, this one, that one the one that just came up out of the water. The one that the Holy Spirit is descending on and remaining on. The one that John the Baptist says, that's my beloved son. It's settled. Here comes Satan. If you are the son of God. What a liar. He asks Eve. God says you can eat any of the trees, any of the fruit of the trees anywhere in the garden. Just the one in the middle there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat that. Here comes Satan. Read it. Satan comes along. Has he said you cannot eat any of the fruit of any of the trees? What's the answer to that? No. That's not what he said, but that's the thought. Has he forbidden you and restricted you from eating all the fruit? No, just this one. Has God said you're going to die? Do you really think you'll die? You're not going to die. He lies. Psalm 91, look at verse number, oh, go there if you would, verse number 5. Look at verse number 5, and uh, actually verse 6 in the text. So he, take him, he took him up to a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you, there he comes questioning, if you are the Son of God. God's already spoken. Now here comes Satan questioning, tempting, tearing down, perverting, twisting. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. I've got Bible for you. Here he comes. He's going to twist the text. The Bible says he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. God's going to take care of this. 
What he's trying to do is get Jesus to question and jump ahead of God's plan. But Christ is on to his tactic. He's not going to deny the truth of Psalm 91. Yes, it applies to him as Christ, but it's not the whole story. There is more to it. I can't just take this passage that the angels are going to not let me dash my foot against the stone and so I can just tempt God by jumping off of a cliff. No, you don't have the right to do that. The Bible also says you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I want to encourage you folks. Listen, beware of this tactic of Satan. James chapter 3, I believe it is, the book of James, warns us that are teachers Be careful if you're a teacher and a handler of the Word of God. It is serious business to handle the Word of God. Why? Because with just a little bit of knowledge, we can make the Bible appear to say what it doesn't really say. That's very possible. You and I may do it accidentally, unintentionally. Satan does it intentionally. He loves to twist and pervert the Scriptures. We are to be very, very careful. So in verse number 6, just jump. Have you ever heard this? You ever ever heard this twist, Christian? Have you ever heard this? A few of you will be like, I think I've heard that before. It's similar to verse 6, but Satan caters it to fit our lives. It goes something like this. Hey, what does it matter if you indulge just a little? It's only a little. Hey, listen, nobody's going to see this. It's okay. Go ahead and give in. Do this thing. Jesus, jump. Hey, you and you and you and I. It's okay. It's just a little thing. No one's looking. No one's going to know. Hey, furthermore, remember, you're a Christian. You can't lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. Hey, here's one. 1 John 1, 9. Just do it. Confess it later. He'll forgive. He has to. Careful. Satan wants wants you to forget that sin offends God. God hates sin. He's my Lord. He's my Savior, my Creator, my Master, my Head. Why would I do that? Because He hates God. He hates you. He wants you to jump into sin. And He'll use a passage of Scripture and twist it. Sin has built-in consequences. Satan's never going to tell you that. Number three. Still in Matthew 4, a third tactic. So number one, careful when you've had a high, a spiritual high. Careful when you're weak. Careful when you're alone. And he loves to take passages and truths and promises of Scripture and twist them and make them say what they don't. Third thing he does, very evident, Satan, hear me, Satan encourages shortcuts to God's blessings. Satan encourages shortcuts to God's blessing. Look at verse number two. And after 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry and the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Hey, hey, hey. Here's what he's saying. Jesus You have the power. You have the ability. Use it. Why in the world are you going around hungry? 40 days and 40 nights, you've got to just just say the word to that stone right there. Fix it. That one right there. Just take it away. Turn it into bread. Enjoy. If you want to write this down, it was never a matter of Jesus' ability. It was always a matter of God's will. Yes, Jesus could have turned stones to bread. But as we alluded to last week, it was God's will that Jesus lay aside his, 
glory, particularly in this case, not just of his beauty, but also of his power. Guys, listen, it was God's will. Jesus, you're going to lay aside the independent use of your power, except for those times when God the Father wills it to be used, and it's not going to be for your personal indulgence. It's not going to be for you to get out of trouble and to fix a hunger problem. It's going to be to serve other people or to give as a sign that you are the Christ. It's not for you out here in the wilderness by yourself. And so Christ realizes, I have the power, but it is not God's will, and he fights it off. Look at verse 5 and 6. The devil took him to the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. It's written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Here's the shortcut. Do you see it? Do you hear it? Just use your power. Turn that to bread. Shortcut. Here's another one. I'm going to read between the lines. I picture Satan saying, in essence, something like this. If you are the Son of God, we know certain scriptures apply to you. You're protected. We both know, we both know, those angels all around are under orders to protect you. We know they're plenty quick. If you wanted to, in your humanness, you could not force yourself to hit the ground. They are so quick. Look how strong they are. Look how eager they are. My, how they love you. Hey, I'm here by permission. Y'all get back. I'll take on any five of you, and I don't want to take on all of you. Boy, they love you. They love you. Look, just do it. I'm here by permission. I'm doing what I'm allowed to do. Again, reading between the lines. Now, I'm really reading between the lines. It may be possible. Satan is offering this. You are the king of the Jews. We know who you are. I know. I'm figuring it out. I'm putting passages of Scripture together, the prophecies. I see what's happening. If you're the king of the Jews, then just fast track the whole process. Jump off of here. They will stop you. You turn and just say that you're the Messiah. They will, they will love it. These Jews will love it. They will fall at your feet. They will worship you. Fast track this thing. Shortcut. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Do you see the shortcut? This is his pattern, guys. Don't you get it? Shortcut, shortcut. Turn that to bread. Jump, they'll love it, announce that you're the Christ, they'll worship you. And here, in verse 8 and 9, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms. Some have actually wondered, uh, is this even real? I'll throw this out. Is this even a real thing? Is this even in Satan's possession to offer the kingdoms of the world to God? Let me say this very clearly. God is sovereign. God is in control. God rules and reigns all things. But I am going to tell you, I believe that in this passage, Satan does have the power to offer these kingdoms. And maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe he would have given these to the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. You say, seriously, you think he has that power? John chapter 14. Let me read it. John chapter 14. Look at verse number 30. This is in the upper room, right before Jesus will go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And be betrayed and arrested. Verse number 30. Jesus with his 11. Judas is gone. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you. For Here's what Jesus says. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But he does call him the ruler of this world. Shortcuts. But Jesus knows something. Follow me. 
Watch, this is key. Jesus is being tempted. All the kingdoms of the world, I'll do it right now. I'll fix it. They're, they're yours. Just bow down and worship. But here's the problem. Jesus knows if I take your shortcut that you're offering and these kingdoms become mine, these people will bow down and worship me then, now. And you hear that and say, that's a good thing. No, that's a bad thing. Because if these people worship Jesus, then they're not going to crucify Jesus. That's a great thing. No, that's a bad thing. Because if they don't crucify Jesus, then you and I will die and go to hell with no hope. Our sins will never be paid. Jesus knows I can't take your shortcut. I can't take those kingdoms. By the way, I'm going to get them anyway, just a little later. Because Christ knows if I resist your shortcuts, I end up with a far greater position with far more glory if I do it God's way after suffering. And I just said a word that none of us like. Jesus knows you're offering a shortcut. I could do it right now. It'll mess everything up. Or I can go through God's plan and it's going to include a lot of suffering. I will die for sins. I hate sin. I will become sin. I've never been separated from my father. I'm going to be separated from my father. Crosses have shame and nakedness. And I'm going to be shamed up there. But I'm going to take that because on the other end of it, it is more glory, more higher position than what you're offering me. Satan still offers shortcuts. To be literal... Satan is trying to talk Christ into committing suicide. Do you see it? Satan offers shortcuts. Unfortunately, many have leaped, literally, buildings, bridges. Many have pulled a trigger. Many have slashed. And many have swallowed. All at the bidding and invitation, encouragement of devilish forces. Listen. There are people, and you're sitting there right now saying, I remember a time in my life where I could just sense this is the answer. This will fix it. Just do it. It'll be over. One, two. Let's start again. One, two. Come on. This will fix it. Jesus, just jump. Just jump. He lies. What you need to remember is Satan's shortcuts are cheap imitations, and they always come at a high cost. Eve, you'll be like God. Eve died. Satan offers shortcuts. Man, I wish I had time to preach this point. I don't. I would say young people, but it's across the board. Here's one. Hey, sex before marriage. Cheap imitation. He never shows the pain. Those of us who are married, sex outside of marriage. Never satisfying. Never hits the mark. Cheap imitation. Never shows you the pain and destruction that it leaves behind. But he offers it. Here's a shortcut. Here's one, those of you that are in business and you have the right to make decisions that affect people's lives. Hey, all your competitors are doing it. Just do some business practices that are a little sharp, a little cruel, and a little deceptive. But man, it'll move your business out. Shortcut, shortcut, shortcut. It's wrong. God's not going to bless it. It may look like you're being blessed in the temporary, but it's not going to be in the permanent. Don't fall for it. Here's a big one. Hey, Christian, you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. You can have a relationship with God. Just don't be one of those Christians that prays or that reads your Bible. You can have a relationship with God without praying and reading your Bible. Can you? Granted, your relationship officially never changes, but do you have a real relationship with God? 
That's his lot. You're fine. You go to church. You know you're too busy to be reading your Bible and praying. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's a shortcut. It's not real. You need to do this. The Lord is calling you to something higher. Track with me if you would briefly. Romans 8. Romans 8. I want you to see something. And then we'll hit our fourth point this morning. Romans 8. Satan offers shortcuts, and here's one of the biggest ones. Romans 8. Here's the shortcut. You ready? Listen, here it is. Crave, desire, want, expect a pain-free life. Crave it. Jeff, the best life is the pain-free life. No suffering. Want it, crave it, expect it, be offended. If God brings any pain in your life, then you'll be upset because you're owed a pain-free life. That's a lie. It's a shortcut. Jesus saw past it. Paul saw past it. Peter saw past it. It's a shortcut. Satan's like, you should expect this. This is what you really want. And the Lord is saying, no. Glory and suffering always go together. I don't even understand it all. All I know is in the scripture, you see it in Matthew 4, Jesus knows, no, I don't, I'm not going to take a shortcut. I'm going to have more glory, higher position, doing it God's way. And yes, it involves some suffering. Look at verse 14. Don't have time to go into this. I want to just plant a thought. Maybe you'll go back to it. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You say, I don't even know what that means. I've never been led by God to do anything. I'll leave that hanging. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Oh, I was unsaved. I got saved. Now all I've got to do is keep myself saved. No, no, no. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've been, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom? Adoption, the spirit. We've received the spirit, capital S. The Holy Spirit of adoption as sons. Hey, a Christian, don't. Don't check out right here. If, if you're a Christian, you need to read this because this is talking about you. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom, by the spirit as adopted, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We get to talk to God the Father. Verse 16 is so key. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. A witness is someone who says, I know this to be true. Verse 16. The spirit, Holy Spirit, himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Here's what I find. Holy Spirit says, Jeff, you are a child of God. And my spirit humbly responds, yes, I am. You're, you're God's child. You've been adopted. You're not the only begotten, but because the only begotten died on a cross for you and you put your faith in him, then you are an adopted child of God. Yes, I am. I agree with what you're saying, verse 17. Okay, once that's settled, then next layer. If children, then heirs, heirs of God. Whatever he owns, we own. And fellow heirs with Christ. Whatever Christ owns, we own. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Are you a child? Does the Holy Spirit bear witness in your spirit? You say, I know I'm a child of God. If you're here this morning, say, I'm about 30, 40, 50, 60% chance. I'm fairly sure I'm a child of God. You're probably not. Because the Holy Spirit tells me, Jeff, you are a child of God. And I agree with what he says. And if I'm a child of God, then I'm an heir of God. If, 
Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also... Look at verse 18, one more verse. Then Paul tops it all off. Suffering? I don't like that part. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, he lumps them all together, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings are not worth to be compared with the glory. I looked up something on my phone last night just because I... It's a brand I'll never own. $1,000 is a lot of money. Most all of us would say, $1,000? Yeah, I don't have that laying around. That's a, that's a lot of money. $1,000 is a lot of money. But it's not a lot of money when you compare it with a topped out, fully loaded, 2019 Mercedes-Benz CLS. Would you give $1,000 for a topped out 2019 Mercedes Benz CLS of the color that you like you say I'm not really into them I'll give a thousand dollars if you have one of those they're $119,000 that's what they cost I'll give you a thousand dollars you say well I guess you would I thought you don't have a thousand I'll sell my truck I'll seriously that's my point that is my point I'll do crazy stuff yeah I thought you like your truck I will sell the truck I'll take three for it and I'll get three Mercedes Benz for $3,000. By the way, I won't take $3,000 for my truck. Here's my point. Shortcuts, shortcuts. It's going to cost you, Jesus says. I know there's a lot of suffering, but it leads to a lot of glory. And I'm not going to take your shortcut. Matthew chapter 4. Lastly, and today I want to whet your appetite. This will transition into next week's message. Here's his tactics. I want you to get it in your head and check yourself so you're, you're ready. The reason is we'll be ready. After a great victory... When you're weak, when you're alone, he sure likes to twist the scripture. And he offers shortcuts. Fourth thing he does is Satan tries to attack our true identity. Satan really tries to attack our our true identity. I'm going to tell you, this passage fascinates me. This fascinates me. I read this the other day, and it was one of those confusing things. Last week we had a whole point, difficult questions. Here was one of the questions I did not include last week. Why is Satan doing this? What's up with this if you are the son of God stuff? Why does he do that twice? What is he thinking? This really puzzled me. Here's why. Follow. Follow me quick. Here we go. Jesus is the son of God. If you are the son of God. Oh, time out. He is the son of God. If 2 plus 2 is 4 and not 93... What? 2 plus 2 is 4 and it is not 93. If you are the son of God. What are you doing? This puzzles me. Fascinates me. Why? Jesus is the son of God. It's true. And Jesus knows he's the son of God. And Satan knows he's the son of God. Why are you saying if? Jesus is going to walk around in ministry following this. He will encounter devils. They will recognize him and they start talking to him. Why? They know him. They used to live in heaven with him before they fell. Lucifer, Satan, lived in heaven. Satan knows Jesus. The devils know Jesus as the Christ. The only new thing here is this manhood. This is new. I'm going to propose to, why is he doing this? This troubles me. Why is he attacking Jesus' identity? Why is he questioning Jesus' identity? I'm going to offer two things to think about. Number one, perhaps. I'm only throwing it out. Perhaps. 
Perhaps Satan is unsure of the effect of Jesus' humanity. Maybe this, I'm going to give this a shot. What is the effect? I know who he is. I worshiped him. He's my creator. I lived in heaven. I don't know how long he lived in heaven. He knows him, no doubt about it. Why is he questioning? Maybe he's unsure. It goes something like this. Will this man, Jesus, is he susceptible to doubt his true identity as the Son of God? I know the Son of God. I know he's the Christ. But this man, Jesus, this Jew here, that's new. Can I get him to question and even doubt a little bit that he is? I wonder if I can even get the Son of God to question his identity. Now, I'm throwing it out, and I realize most of you say, eh, that's a dumb one. Right? Before you just totally dismiss it, can I say this, not picking a fight with the enemy? Remember, Satan's very knowledgeable, very, very smart, very intelligent. He's not always wise. He's not always wise. He let his hatred get the better of him so much so. Remember he was so stupid that he helped on earth, the earthly portion, orchestrate the crucifixion of Jesus. I wonder if he could undo that if he would undo that now. He's really smart, a lot smarter than me, really knowledgeable, knows a lot of facts, big, big brain. Not a brain, but big mind. But he's not wise. Maybe, maybe the first one. I'm going to throw the second one out to you. It's not in your notes, so just hear it. Perhaps Satan's goal, if it's not that, is the following. Can I get him to question? Listen, this applies to us. Can I get him to question his identity? Check. Can I, can I make him doubt? Or can I make him question God's goodness? Can I make him, make him question the plan of God? I picture Satan's line of thought going something like this. If you are God's son and he really is pleased with you, like verse chapter 3, verse 17 says, watch, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? Your hunger is real. I've seen your glory. This isn't it. This can't be the plan. Your hunger is real. You've got the power. Do something about it. You look pitiful. Stay back. Y'all stay back. You look pitiful. Turn that stone into bread. Come on, you know you got the power. God, if God really loves you, why is he letting this happen? Just do something about it. Just change the plan. If you're the son of God. That stone, right, that one right there. Eat. Eat. Why not? Just eat. Jump. Bow down and worship. Can I get you to doubt who you are? Can I get you to question the goodness of God? I've offered two reasons. I don't know the answer. Here's, here's the main thing as I come down the home stretch. Here's what I know. If that joker has the audacity to attack Jesus' identity, you better believe he's going to come after you. You better believe he'll... He, it, it has various forms. It could be as simple as this. You, you honestly... By God's grace, Lord, I'm yours. You use me. What is that you want me to do? And you start doing it. Here they come. Who do you think you are? You're questioning your idea. Who do you think you are? You seriously think you're going to do something for God? Do you think they will respond? You're going to be a fool. No one's going to listen. You're going to look stupid. You're going to sound stupid. You're going to starve if you do that. There's somebody sitting here this morning going, I have, I have heard that conversation. 
I know that conversation. That's his little technique. Write this one down. I believe this with all my heart. Christian, this is important. We're going to come back to this next week. Demonic forces will test us to see if we actually know our identity in Christ and will we rely on our identity in Christ. They're going to test it. Do you know who you are? If Satan does this with Jesus, they're going to do it with you and I. Do you know who you are? Do you know your identity? Will you rely on your identity? I'm going to tell you, if you don't know who you are, you say, I'm saved. If you don't know what that means, who you are, your address spiritually, they're going to increase the attack. Here's where our power comes. I'm really getting into next week's message. Our power comes when we claim specific promises of God. Here's what I'm learning those demonic forces do not like Bible study. They don't like Bible study. Verse 11 is the proof. When, when here they come attacking your identity, they don't like it when you say, oh yeah, well he says this, so let's talk about this. Yeah, well I got something I need to go do. That's what I thought. Why don't you just take on off? Why don't you just get on out of here? They don't like Bible study. And you need to arm yourself with Bible truth. I've got to say this. I've got to say it. Someone's authority is decided by someone with higher authority. Someone's authority is decided by someone with higher authority. I've got several school teachers here and I used to be one myself. Listen. A school teacher has authority in the classroom. Whether they ever realize it or not, whether they act like it or not, they have the authority. And the teachers, you have the authority. It was given to you by the state, by the board, by your principal, and by the parents when they agreed to put their kids in your class. You have the authority. Now, you may not act like it. You may not know it. You may not realize it. If you don't realize it and don't act on it, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. If you don't claim that authority, somebody will. I learned that my first year. Love him to death. I proposed that we hire him as the main voice. Introduced him to the elder board. But when he was 14, I could wring that guy's neck back there, Brandon Chambers and all of his classmates. I was a first-year teacher. I had no idea how to discipline a class. I was clueless. I had no idea that I had the authority in the classroom. And it took me two or three years. I think they, they take credit for retiring the guy before me. Literally. They about retired me. I was dumb enough to come back the second year and the third year. And then something happened. It wasn't taught. First year, I'm thinking my authority is in writing demerits and getting Dr. Wilkins to come down and get Dr. Wilkins to call their parents. And finally, it was like, no. And I can't explain it. It just something happened. And it's like, hey, hey guys, all right, we're done. Let's pray. Let's pray. We're going to get into the word. All right. And then they just, I don't think I gave a demerit the last 16 years I worked there. Sheriff Taylor had it. Barney wanted it. <laughs> Seriously. Barney's got his gun and he claims authority. Sheriff Taylor doesn't have a gun, but he has a badge. And this badge says, I've got the authority. My last text, I'm just going to read it, and we'll be done. James 4, hear it. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God, here now, you say, I'm under attack. God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace. Grace is gifts, good things, favors. God opposes the proud. Don't be proud. He gives grace to the humble. Here's the, here's the formula. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That is the first thing. Well, they're attacking me. I'm getting ready. No, no, no. Don't, don't mind. First thing, line yourself up under God in humility. God, I cannot. They're stronger than me. I don't have a chance. You submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And then the higher power says, now resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Did you catch the verse? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Here's our formula. Then resist the devil. He will flee. That's exactly what you see in Matthew chapter number 4. Hey, they're going to test. Just like that teacher and the students, they're going to find out. Do they know they have the authority? The devils are going to find out. Do they know they don't have to sin? Unsafe people have no chance. You cannot stop sinning. Christians, you can still commit acts of sins. You cannot continue to wallow in sin as a lifestyle, habitual lifestyle, but you can commit acts of sin. But on an individual basis, they're going to find out. What if I can get them to sin? Do they know? And when you claim you're not my boss, I used to do that all the time. It controlled me. Here's what God's Word says in, in, in Romans chapter 6. Suddenly they find something better to do. I'm just telling you it's a fact. So Jeff, are you like the people on the TV channel, the religious channel? And we're going to go out and talk a big game and pick fights with the enemy? Absolutely not. Don't do that. I close with this. Remember, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You've got to get right thinking here. I'm not talking about picking fights. I'm talking about right thinking. We don't pick fights. But when we just do what we're supposed to do, evangelizing, start conversations with people about their soul. Start it today or tomorrow. Do it. Make up your mind. And then start investing in people's lives toward discipleship, getting groups, one-on-one, -on -one, whatever it is. You start evangelizing discipleship and you start growing in your relationship with the Lord. You don't pick fights, but conflict is going to happen. And when it does, we don't ball up. Oh, I hope the gates of the church are strong enough to hold up. No, wrong thinking. The gates of hell. Here's the picture. We're attacking them. Your gates aren't going. We're going to start plucking people that are on the way to hell. It's not, we're over here. Oh, I'm being attacked. and I, just, I, I get it. They, they're going to come after me today and tomorrow and all that good stuff. If I remember to do what Jesus did and stay on the offensive, evangelizing, discipling, growing my relationship with the Lord, yeah, it's going to happen. But they don't like Bible study. And that's how Jesus won. They're intimidated by the Holy Spirit in you. He's stronger. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We're not going to have a song at the end today. So thankful for our worship team. Had some sickness and unable to practice on Wednesday and then really crazy stuff with some sound this morning. So very thankful, but I'm going to give them a break, all right? Kind of like last week, we're just going to finish with a few questions. But I want you to not tune out, but I want you to let the Holy Spirit evaluate. And let's just let this be a transition to next week. Here we go, a few questions. Satan is real. He hates you. 
Can you identify how he's been tempting you? If you say, I don't know that I've been being tempted by Satan in any of the ways you've described today, it's probably because you're not a threat to him. When I was eight years old, my brother killed a bear. My brother was 10. I remember vividly, we even have video footage. No sound on the footage. 1977, 78, probably 1977. I was seven-ish, I guess. We had 30, 40 hound dogs fighting this bear up in the mountains of North Carolina. But my Uncle Jack had one bulldog in the fight, and his name was Caesar. That bear was fighting those, bulldo- those, those hound dogs. But you can see on the video, there's no sound. But old Caesar was latched onto his neck. And that bear forgot about all the little hound dogs, and he and Caesar had about a six or seven second tussle, and he put a hurting on Caesar. And he slung him out and threw him over the top of the other dogs, but that little bulldog took three or four steps, jumped right back in the fight, and grabbed a new hold and held on. And a little bit later, my brother put that bear down. I'm sorry if I offended you if you're an animal rights activist. But here's the thought. You say, I'm not being tempted, attacked in any way. What are you doing for the Lord? But if you're here this morning, you say, I think I have been under attack. Check yourself. Have you had a recent victory? Like, man, God's just been so good. Even used somebody as weak as me. Beware. Are you tired? If you're tired, I'm just telling you, be careful. Expect it. Be prepared. Really be here next week. Are you alone? Are you alone a lot? Are you alone upcoming? They're going to come after us. Make preparations. Christian, is there a specific promise of God? You know God has said something and Satan is attacking that, saying it's untrue. But you have rightly divided the word of God. God said, Jesus is my beloved son and Satan's trying to question him. Don't let let them have that ground. Keep the word of God. Keep the promises. Don't yield that to them. Claim them. Hey, Christian, what shortcut is he offering? Sex before marriage? Short, cruel, deceptive business practices? Relationship with God that is a supposed relationship with God that involves no scripture reading, no real prayer time, no concerted prayer time? Don't buy it. It's fake. It's phony. They're fine if you have a prayerless, Bibleless walk with the Lord. You're no threat. They don't want you getting the real thing. Don't settle for the fake. And as we transition to next week, are they questioning your identity? So I ask these final three questions before I pray. Do you know your identity? You say, yeah, I'm a painter. I'm a mechanic. No. If you're a Christian, hear me. You are God's child. You're the king's kid. You are a saint. If I ask you your identity and your first thought is some sin that you used to do, stop it, stop it, stop it. That's a lie. That's how they want you to be identified. Don't buy it. Read your Bible, particularly the book of Romans and Ephesians, and you learn who you are in Christ. We're going to talk about that. Do you know your address? Not your physical address in South Carolina. Do you know your spiritual address? You are in Christ, seated in the heavenlies. You were in Christ on the cross. You were in Christ in his burial. You were in Christ as he walked out of the tomb victorious. You are seated at the right hand of God. You have direct access to God. That is your address. Christian, don't give that up. You need to know it, claim it, use it. And lastly, do you know what comes with all of that? I'll tell you. 
Here's your assignment. I'm leaving you with your assignment. If you say, I've been attacked, your assignment is Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. Because what comes with your identity and your address in Christ is major, major power and authority that comes from Him that is not yours. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for these folks that have been so patient today. Lord, I pray that your truth will reign, that it will dwell richly within your people, that we will be equipped. Lord, that it will be on the surface, on the tip of our tongue. Lord, that we'll be ready when needed to defend ourselves. But Lord, I pray that Graceview will be a kind of people. God, that we're on the advance. We're advancing your kingdom. We're not just balled up defensively. Lord, use us this week, this, this group of people right here. Father, I pray your blessings on them. Let us start gospel conversations. Let us lead people to Christ and share our testimony of faith in him alone. Lord, I pray that we will be discipling people and growing in our relationship with you. And when the conflict comes, we're going to submit to you and resist them and win through the power of your Holy Spirit in us and the power of Christ's name. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. God bless you.